This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Powered by Righteous Media. Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 233. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Summer is a time to get crazy, to let loose, to get wild. But this summer is especially wild, like wild on another level, especially in national security, politics, and military affairs. And now, in these wild times, is especially a time to stay vigilant. You've stated that the government is in possession of potentially non-human spacecraft. Based on your experience and extensive conversations with experts, do you believe our government has made contact with intelligent extraterrestrials? Something I can't discuss in public setting. Um, okay, I can't ask when you think this occurred. <laughs> um, if you believe we have crashed craft, uh, stated earlier, do we have the bodies of the pilots who piloted this craft? As I've stated publicly already in my News Nation interview, uh, biologics came with some of these recoveries. Yeah. Um, were they, I guess, human or non-human biologics? Non-human, and that was the assessment of people uh, with direct knowledge on the program I talked to that are currently still on the program. And was this documentary evidence, this video, photos, eyewitness? Like, how would that be determined? The specific documentation I would have to talk to you in a skiff about. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's retired Air Force Major David Grush, who's a former intelligence officer, testifying this week to Congress that the U.S. is concealing what he calls a multi-decade program that captures UFOs. Yes, UFOs. Asked if the government had information about extraterrestrial life, Grush said the U.S. has been aware of, quote, non-human activity since the 1930s. Now, the Pentagon has denied his claims. And just when you thought 2023 couldn't get any wackier, any wilder, now there's this. And this hearing actually wasn't another clown show. It wasn't like the Robert F. Kennedy Jr. COVID anti-vax shit show from last week, or like most other hearings in D.C. in the last few weeks. As Congress gets ready to break for the summer, there was actually bipartisan interest in this hearing, and a much more calm and sober tone than the other recent hearings on UFOs featuring whistleblowers that were celebrated by Republicans and attacked by Democrats. It was wild but it was almost respectful. So maybe, finally, we have some bipartisan agreement and civility around an issue. And that issue is UFOs, at least for now. 
But it's only a matter of time before UFOs and alien life become just another casualty of the never-ending and never-expanding Washington, D.C. culture wars that have consumed every other element of our politics and culture here on Earth. The culture war is our new forever war. From pandemics, to climate change, to the Mexican border, to Ukraine, to even now to our Department of Veterans Affairs and Department of Defense, they've all been engulfed in the culture wars, in the never-ending political pandemic that is the spread of the stupid. A spread that might one day extend all the way to space. A spread that seems fueled by the summer heat. The hotter it gets, the stupider they get. And the wilder it gets. And as it gets wilder and wilder here on Earth, stakes remain high. Yep, high stakes. Every day, every way. Politics, national security, entertainment, sports. And it's an amazing and fun time to be a sports fan in America. And a pretty damn scary time to be a watcher of politics in America. In a week where Lionel Messi scored two goals in only his second game playing for Miami in the MLS, Hunter Biden's plea deal fell through. In a week where the NFL preseason began, along with a slew of free agent signings, including, thankfully, the Giants signing Saquon Barkley, Trump apologist David Navarro warned there'd be a civil war in America if Trump was imprisoned. In a week where the U.S. women's national soccer team kicked off action with a resounding 3-0 win over Vietnam, Republican Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell had a medical episode at age 81 that left him speechless and frozen in front of a microphone at a press conference. In a week where the Yankees clashed with the Mets in the latest installment of the Subway series, the U.S. Department of Defense says that the main thrust of Ukraine's counteroffensive has begun. In a week where F1 racing saw the return of my favorite driver, Daniel Ricciardo, extremist Republican Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville continued to hold hundreds of promotions of senior military leaders now forcing over a dozen of them to delay their retirement for at least the next year. Something so unheard of, so unprecedented, so wild, that just a few years ago, it would have seemed more likely than UFOs being real. But these are wild times. This is a wild summer. And there are a few wilder stories this summer than the ongoing saga around Senator Tommy Tuberville a.k.a. Senator Redneck. Honestly, I sometimes wish I could just have one week without his ridiculousness. But every week, it's something new. As the sickness of the stupid continues to consume this man, and he continues to spread it to others, like the summertime super spreader of the stupid. Every week, it's a new and wilder level of stupid. From him supporting white nationalists joining the military, to blocking military promotions using a tactic that should now forever be known as a Tuberville temper tantrum, 
to lying about the military paying for abortions, to lying about donating his Senate salary to veterans groups in Alabama, to more support for white nationalism, to now this. There's something new this week. The Washington Post broke a new story revealing how Senator Tuberville has been lying not just about abortions in the military and about his charitable giving to veterans groups. No, he's also been lying about his dad's World War II military service. Now, of course, Coach-slash-Senator Redneck never served in the military a day himself, but he often cites his World War II hero dad as a defense for his radical positions that hurt the military and to try to prove how down with the military he is. His grandfather is kind of like the military equivalent of a racist who says he has a black friend. And, of course, Tuberville's racist, too. Well, anyway, we now find out he lied about his father, too. And my response is to quote another military man from the South, the great private Gomer Pyle. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Yep. Senator Redneck said that his father... Charles Tuberville, made the D-Day landing at Normandy as a tank commander in the 101st Infantry. That was a lie. He said his dad lied about his age at 16 and joined the Army. That was a lie. He said his dad had five bronze stars. That was a lie. He said his dad drove a tank in Paris when U.S. troops liberated the city. That was a lie. Lie after wild lie. Tuberville is not only a racist, an extremist hack who's hurting our troops, he's also a liar. There's absolutely no integrity there. Only political grandstanding and making every attempt possible to be loved by Trump. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Senator Redneck should just resign. But of course, he won't. So it's lies, lies, and more lies from Tuberville. All the while, Insulting women troops, hurting military families, and weakening our national security. And our enemies thank him for it. And shame on any U.S. senator that hasn't called for his resignation. I don't think there are any yet, Democrat or Republican. If there is, I'll start sharing the list with you online and here in the show. The U.S. Army has now asked 20 high-ranking officers who are planning to retire or move to another job to delay their career moves. These generals were planning to retire, and they had to delay job offers and stop their VA benefits and stop the whole retirement process, along with their families. And now, they're stuck, waiting and wondering because of one lone, radical jackass politician. And the outrage is building. This week, a group of military spouses delivered a petition to his office, and more and more veterans across America and across Alabama are hearing about this craziness. And it's getting harder and harder for Tuberville to avoid the veterans and military community. Because there's no spinning this. His radical and reckless hold on promotions is hurting our troops and military families. And more and more of us are speaking out by the day. And this week, he was confronted directly in the halls of Congress by Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America CEO Allison Jaslow inside the Capitol. And here's a clip. I'm a Iraq war vet myself. Um, thank you, sir. Thank you. Um, many of us are very frustrated though, with your hold on uh, promotions, uh, especially if we represent the post-9-11 generation of veterans, many of whom are still serving. I'm just curious what, 
there's a lot of conversation here in DC, but what do you have to tell them about why they're pay raises and promotions? They go for the law, I'm fine. But you're holding up people's pay raises, promotions, and livelihoods. 250 out of 2,000,000. If you couldn't hear what he said, his response was, it's 250 out of 2 million, meaning it's only 250 people out of a 2 million person fighting force. Okay, yeah, but it's 250 vital senior leaders, 250 military families, 250 units with tens of thousands of troops under their command. It's 200,000 or so Marines with no commandant. It's 2 million service members disrupted by one Radical, ignorant, lying politician. It's a wild summer in Washington, full of nastiness and full of lying. As firefighter Rob Sarah said when he joined us on this show just a few episodes ago, they don't even care about lying anymore. And there's really very little price to pay for it anymore. It's like a political sacrifice bunt. That's what Rob called it, and he's right. That's the environment in Washington. And and far too much of America this summer. Yep, this is a summer of wild times. And in these wild times, when stress is high, volatility is the norm, and nastiness is commonplace, especially in the summer, it's time to just chill out and be nice, damn it. That's my message to my young sons. This summer especially, but always, work hard and be nice. Just work hard and be nice. Everybody wants a good life and a home. Everybody wants a good friend when they're alone. Work hard and be nice. It's a great mantra for life, and a great song by Michael Franti. Michael Franti makes music that is happy and positive and meaningful and nice. If you don't know his music, and even if you do and you want to feel a little bit better, listen to some Michael Franti. We can take all the hard lessons, that little loving, and turn them into blessings. Don't complicate it. Keep it simple. Just work hard and be nice to people. Maybe you know his music, maybe you don't. But if you ever want to feel a little bit better, listen to some Michael Franti. Now, I met Michael Franti many years ago, and I had the honor of hanging out with him and his crew, and they were very, very nice. And later, I got to see him in an epic concert in New York and go backstage with him and Tom Morello of Rage Against the Machine, Serge Tankian of System of the Down, and others. And one thing I always remember is that they were all very nice guys who also worked their asses off. Work hard and be nice. Something we all wish we saw a lot more of from politicians in Washington and from lots of people around the country who were angry nasty and or just plain grumpy work hard and be nice it's what our guest has always done he's a guy who works harder than anyone i know 
And he's also nicer than most anyone I know. And it's a big part of why he's been successful. It's why people trust him. It's why sources trust him. It's why Hollywood superstars, like our friend of the show and guest back in episode 135, Milo Ventimiglia, trusts him. And it's why I trust him. And it's why I'm thrilled he's back for this episode to take us through some of the wildest and most important national security and politically adjacent stories unfolding in this summer of wildness. He's an investigative reporter. He's a Marine veteran. He's the dad of a little boy the same age as my older guy. And he's an all-around good person, working hard to bring the world the truth about our national security, our troops, our defense, even at the risk of his own personal safety. He's a national security reporter now at The Messenger, a new media startup. And he's formerly an Associated Press investigative reporter and a U.S. combat Marine. And he's a true example of Vets Rising, a hashtag we used to use at IAVA that proves that even after brutal combat and deep trauma, combat veterans can rise up to do great things. They can be Vets Rising. He's a returning champion. He's a fantastic reporter, and he's my friend, and he is back, James Laporta. Just work hard, be nice, so keep your eyes to the skies and your feet on the ground, and if you got a frown, I hope you turn it around, don't let nobody ever James Laporta always works hard and stays nice, and he'll take us inside the wild story of Marine veteran Trevor Reed who was released from a Russian prison back in 2022 and was recently wounded fighting in Ukraine. I know a little bit about that story, too, and you'll hear more about that. James will also take us inside the very wild story of the American soldier who snuck inside a civilian tour group and ran across the demilitarized zone from South Korea into North Korea, vanishing like a UFO. James will take us inside the Pentagon, for a look at how Tommy Tuberville's antics are impacting real troops and families. And he'll take us inside the military's internal fight against Nazis and other violent extremists that are trying to infiltrate our forces to train up to do dark things. And he'll take us inside how his reporting led him to being added to a Nazi kill list and why the FBI came knocking at his door. These are wild times indeed. But in the wildest times, it's still and always important to work hard and be nice. Keep simple, just work hard and be nice to people. Welcome to the wild times of the summer of 2023. Welcome to a deep dive into some of the wildest stories that are also happening around our military and veterans communities. Welcome to a demonstration in how to work hard and be nice. Welcome to Independent Americans, episode 233. Just work hard and be nice to people. Just work hard and be nice. Don't complicate it. Keep it simple, just work hard and be nice to people. All of us are equal, so just work hard and be nice to people.
This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Ladies and gentlemen, independent Americans around the country and around the world, we are almost into August, the deep dog days of summer. Politics is hot. National security is hot. International affairs is hot. And we're going to keep our focus on all of those things with one of my favorite guests of all time, a returning champion, uh, an intrepid reporter, uh, an inspiration to veterans and many others, rejoining us finally on Independent Americans. The great and powerful James Laporta is back. Welcome back to Independent Americans, sir. Thanks for having me. That, that intro is crazy, but thank you. I appreciate it. Yo, you've been doing some crazy coverage in the last, I don't know, five years, especially. Right? Yeah. The last time well, I talked to you was 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 Halloween 2019, and you right. brought the Baghdadi story and the dog yeah. story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, uh, that, yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, uh, Baghdadi had just been killed, and 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 everybody wanted to know, you know, what the name and the gender of the dog was that was on the raid, which was somehow even a bigger news story than Baghdadi dying somehow. Like, like, I don't, I don't know if we talked about this at the time, but, um, the Conan O'Brien show, when, when he still had a show on TBS, they like reached out to me to find out if it was true that the dog was named after him. And I was like, yeah, that, that's a true thing. And then it was, a, it was really weird because Conan O'Brien reached out to ask about that. And then there was a segment about it on Saturday Night Live. Like it was a crazy weird. And it was, the dog was named after Conan O'Brien, not Conan the Barbarian. That's right. Yeah. We, we, I tried to make that clear in the story. Yeah, you know. <laughs> well, you've got um, a lot of other interesting intersections. We share a good friend in Milo Ventimiglia who's been yeah. on the show. You worked on This Is Us. You've been reporting at AP, Newsweek, and now The Messenger. I want to get into that. I want to get into your exclusive about Trevor Reed. I want to talk about Private King in North Korea, the FBI coming to your house, and a lot of other things. But before I get to all that, you have recently moved to, to Washington, D.C. So, James yes. Porter, where are you and how are you? I'm good. Uh, that's true. Uh, I was living in Wilmington, North Carolina, which is like uh, sort of in the middle between Camp Lejeune and Jacksonville, North Carolina, and uh, Fort Liberty, I guess it's called now, uh, which is formerly Fort Bragg over in um, Fayetteville, North Carolina. And... Uh, you know, I'm, I was taking this new job here at the Messenger, and they were like, "We want you to get more FaceTime at the Pentagon." So, you know, something I just love to hear <laughs> is to, <laughs> to go walk into the Pentagon. But uh, yeah, so I just moved to the area. So I've been trying to acclimate myself. I've been to a couple like Washington National baseball games, and you know, uh, visiting the museums. I've been I've been doing all the touristy things. You know that I haven't been able to to get to do. So that's been my summer. That's great. And we have a son that's the same age, my oldest son and your son yep. at the same age. 
which makes it that much more fun going to, to DC and experiencing all that. I think DC with kids, especially, especially if they like sports and they like being outside, it's pretty cool. Right. Yeah. I mean, I was really excited to take him to like the American history museum. He had zero interest in it. He was, <laughs> he was like, I was like, look at how cool this is. And he, he could care less. You know, the only thing he liked was that they had like a C3PO and R2D2. You know, like that, that was the only thing, like uh, out of the five floors of American history, that was it. You know, everything yeah. else he, he was just not into. Can't blame you him, know. but you also took him to the Pentagon. And I think it's a good thing yeah. that the Pentagon to ask tough questions, especially if there's been kind of a changing of the guard. Barbara Starr has recently retired. You yeah. know, kind of a generation of Pentagon reporters that, that are uh, in, in their, you know, their, the latter parts of their career and this new blood is coming in. And you've always been able to break some pretty incredible stories despite living in Florida and North Carolina. So I hope that this proximity will get you even more access and even more contacts. Let's talk about the story you broke in the last couple of days here. Trevor Reed, uh, American uh, veteran who was held in Russia for something like 600 days, released in 2022. Um, you reported that he had been wounded by a landmine in Ukraine. Uh, right. I, I, at full disclosure, um, I don't know if I knew about this before you or as you did before you wrote it. I got some outreach from some folks that were working with the family um, to try to get him medical care and try to see if they could get him out, which is kind of, you know, you know this. There's this underground network of vets that try to help other vets in a lot of different ways. Right. I got a phone call and called a couple of friends and, and I kind of knew about his status. But can you can you uh, share more about your reporting, what you learned and what you think is most important about this story? Yeah. So, I mean, Trevor Reed, for people who might not know, uh, made kind of national headlines in the past year or so. Uh, he was sentenced to nine years in a Russian prison colony. Um, you know, the charges were, you know, BS, for lack of a better, better term. Um, and uh, through a lot of negotiation with, uh, between the Biden administration and, and, you know, in Moscow, he was released during a prisoner exchange. Uh, well, sometime after that, after he got out in 2022, uh, I guess he joined uh, Ukraine, the Ukrainian forces and I guess started fighting in Ukraine. And, and I'm not sure when that occurred, but um, uh, this past weekend, I had gotten a tip from a source of mine that he had been uh, injured by a landmine. Uh, he took shrapnel, which um, is a common injury, um, you know, for Ukrainian forces who have been like literally have been fighting almost like World War I style. Like it's been trench warfare. It's been fighting wave after wave of Russian and Wagner forces. Uh, you know, there's been tank battles. And, and, and then you add in the factor of they're fighting drones. So, I mean, it's just been, it's different. It's way different than the wars of, say, Iraq and Afghanistan, you know, that most Americans have knowledge of. Um, and so he was injured and um, was, has been trying to get home. Uh, for better medical care, you know? And so he started petitioning, you know, the U.S. government to try to get him home. Um, you know, uh, the U.S. government was kind of frustrated uh, because uh, from the beginning of the war that began last year, you know, the, the U.S. government has kind of been adamant that they don't want Americans going over to Ukraine to, uh, to fight. And so, but they were particularly kind of frustrated with, with Reed because, you know, they worked to get him out of Russian uh, out of a Russian prison. And now he's gotten himself injured in Ukraine where they've said, Hey, we don't want Americans fighting. 
so that's kind of, you know, but, um, I guess, uh, you know, he started to work with an NGO and I guess he's on his way back to the United States. So, so that, that's kind of the, the gist of the news. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you, you pulled apart, you know, a, a really important policy component of this, right. And this was the debate, you know, offline and in the network, which was like, can we get him to someplace like Landstuhl? Will they right. take or will they not take him on a military base because of the precedent it would set? Right. And that was the question here. Right. It was like the, the, the U.S. government didn't seem to want to say if you're an American veteran, you're, they, they have been saying you're on your own. Right. Don't expect right. us to come get you. Don't expect us to, to be able to use medical facilities if you get hurt over there. But it sounds like they did. Right. Like, I mean, it, it sounds like there was some governmental support and maybe ongoing now to get him at least medical care. Do you have any more information about that? Yeah, there seems to be some level of coordination between the State Department and, and this NGO. That's and I'm not sure of what the NGO is, but uh, to, to get him at at least moved out of Ukraine. Uh, apparently he was a, in a, in a hospital in Kiev. Um, I don't think it's gone to the extent of like, you know, the state department sending, you know, a request for assistance over to the department of defense to ask for, you know, a medical evacuation. I don't think that's occurred, but there does seem to be some level, but, but you're right. The state department doesn't want to publicly set a precedent of like, you know, if you're an American veteran who served honorably in the U S forces, then we're going to help you out you know, if you get injured in, in, in Ukraine, you know, uh, there's been many Americans who served honorably in uh, the U.S. armed forces who have gone over and gotten injured. And, you know, if you do it for one, you got to do it for all. And, and I think the U.S. government's trying to stay away from that, you know, um, particularly at a time when, you know, it, U.S. assistance to Ukraine is crisp every day, you know, and, and there's this open question of like, well, how much can we give the Ukrainians? And at what point, you know, is enough enough? And so that's a constant battle yep. that the Biden administration has to fight just on a day-to-day -day basis. So then you add in something like this, it's kind of a distraction for the U.S. government. Yeah, yeah. In, in terms of what their, uh, the totality of government's mission is in regards to Ukraine fighting back Russian aggression. Yeah, I mean, I uh, right before we went on air, you know, I'm getting attacked right now by Glenn Greenwald and other radicals for a number of things to include having a Ukrainian flag of support on my Twitter page, which I've been un unapologetic about. I proudly support Ukraine. I'm wearing the St. Javelin shirt right now. I am all in on supporting Ukraine. And I hope, frankly, Trevor Reed will come on this show and, and talk to me because I think I could relate. I mean, again, his experience is not something any of us could could understand fully, but if the Russians held me for 600 days and I got out and I was a Marine, I'd want to go back and, and fight back too. So I mean, yeah. to extent, this, maybe you should have been expected, right? And you can't stop him from doing it. But I also think it cuts to that larger issue that you have covered to some extent. I know you're tied into that. There are many Americans that have fought over there. And, and this is kind of an untold part of this story. And there are Americans going every day. And there are Americans who feel that pull because they feel like it's it's the good fight. And we have many, we've had many folks on this show but do you have any other insights to the extent to which there are Americans over there and how the Pentagon is, is dealing with that, maybe behind closed doors? I think they're trying to, I mean, behind closed doors, it's, it's, it's like I just said, it's like we're, they're aware of it. They're not going to, I mean, the most they're going to come and come out and say is like, we don't want you to go do it, but they're also not going to take any measures to say prevent it, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that's because the U.S. government understands that Ukraine is is in a fight for its sovereignty. They're in the fight of their life, you know. 
but no, I, I think you you hit on what uh, Mr. Reed's mindset is, is that, you know, he's a guy who, you know, was in a Russian prison, you know, and uh, Marines have a certain mentality. <laughs> and I think that's that's exactly why he went over to fight. It, it was kind of this idea of like, I'm going to get my revenge, you know. Uh, that was actually expressed to me through my sources of like, that's why he was there. And, and that's, I think that's understandable. You know, the, the, the larger question of should he have gone or not, that's for people to debate. But I think everyone can understand that mindset of like, of why he went. Can, can which I is, you, last time sure. you, were on, you were great in, in showing us what it was like to report on these issues, especially under the Trump administration, when, when reporters were being criticized and targeted um, but I, I did notice in your reporting that one of your sources, at least, was was an unnamed DOD official. Um, this didn't seem to come from the family. It didn't seem to come from Reed. It seems like it was leaked from someone in the Pentagon. Is that correct? And do you have any idea about why? Well, I, I won't say of where it was leaked from. Um, but, uh, yeah, these are U.S. military officials. Um uh, we did update the story uh, with a quote from a Biden official, you know, basically saying that our, our reporting was correct. Um, I mean, I do know that there was some efforts of, you know, can the DOD get involved in helping him out with evacuation, right? Particularly, you know, like, um, you know, him being a Marine and, you know, but there really isn't a role for the Department of Defense. They're just, you know, because he is a veteran, he's not an active duty service member, you know, and, and to be clear, and, you know, and the Biden administration has made this clear, he wasn't there fighting on behalf of the U.S. You know, he went over there on his own accord. Um, but, you know, for the Department of Defense, it really just isn't a role for the Department of Defense, just because given his status as he's not a, you know, there is the saying of, well, once a Marine, always a Marine, but he isn't a Marine anymore in, in right. the eyes of the, of the Pentagon. Right. So there just wasn't a role. You know, right, right. But uh, that's not to say that the Pentagon and the larger de uh, Department of Defense wasn't contacted about helping, you know, Trevor Reed out, mm -hmm. you know, but they're just they there wasn't anything for them to do. Yeah, the, the bad signal went up. I mean, it went maybe went up low key. Right. And, and we saw this a lot in Afghanistan. Right. This was the, the, the digital Dunkirk trying to work to get people right. out to try to help. So I think a lot of that kind of infrastructure of help and that network is is active in a lot of ways now, right? Beyond uh, Afghanistan, a lot of it has transferred over into Ukraine. A lot of it is around when we know a fellow veteran is is on uh, is suicidal, right? Or we haven't been able to right. find, right? There's this network that you're a part of and you report on. But let me let me let me tell uh, ask you about another story you've covered because your contacts have been great, which was crazy in a different way. Uh, this guy Private King makes a run for the border in in North Korea. Um, yeah. You, had, you, did, you did some pretty extensive reporting on this. What do you think uh, folks need to know about this? And, and and maybe what's unique about your reporting on the subject specifically? I think there was enough. Uh, so last week, I, I got some exclusive documents out of the Army that kind of detailed, <coughs> excuse me, the, you know, the events that led up to him actually crossing over to North Korea and then his past legal troubles while he was on his rotation in South Korea. I think there was enough there for his unit to, to have like, they could have saw this coming, I think. Um, uh, so one of the documents that I found was, was uh, a year before 
like he ever crossed into North Korea. Uh, he went uh, AWOL from, um, he was supposed to be at a, at a formation, like a morning formation for accountability. And he didn't show up. And, you know, they called him and he's like, I'm not returning to post and I'm not returning to America. And that was a year before he ever crossed into North Korea. And then from there, he, you know, is involved in an alleged assault. And then, then there's a second assault. So he assaults two more people in a second incident. And not only does he do that, he damages a South Korean law enforcement vehicle. And uh, he was ordered to, you know, the South Koreans uh, under the status of forces agreement between the United States and South Korea, South Korea does have jurisdiction to prosecute service members. Um, and so South Korea was like, well, you're going to pay a fine. And he says, no, I'm going to take this to trial. So South Korea combined the first assault and the second assault into one case. And he ended up paying, you know, um, payments to the victims in those assaults. Uh, he was found guilty of damaging uh, South Korean property. And they ordered him to pay, you know, $3,500 in U.S. dollars. A private, you know, in the Army doesn't make $3,500 they just don't see that kind of money. And so he was like, I'm going to just go to jail. So he spends 50 days in a South Korean labor camp. And, and basically at that point he was deemed an embarrassment to the United States. You know, you, you can imagine that, you know, uh, getting in trouble in South Korea as a U.S. service member is way different than getting in trouble, say at a base in North Carolina. Like right. you're, you're not only representing the army, you're representing the United States as a whole. And so there, and just given the hostilities from North Korea, it's not a place you can, you, that type of behavior is just not tolerated, you know? So he was basically deemed an, an embarrassment to the United States and they were going to send him back to the, uh, to Fort Bliss, probably for administrative separation from the army. And so he's escorted to the airport and for whatever reason, the escorts were not allowed to go through security and he gets to his gate. And Texas, the escorts, hey, I'm at my gate. And they just kind of trusted this guy. And instead, he leaves. And he books himself a tour. And this is this is the kind of the craziest part to me is, so he books a tour to tour the, uh, the demarcation line between North and South Korea, the what's called the joint security area. So he books a tour through a private company. That private company submits a manifest of everybody that's going to go on that tour, they submit the manifest to United Nations Command. And one would think, well, this guy is an embarrassment and he's getting kicked out of the country. His name would be flagged on the manifest. It wasn't. United Nations Command was like, yep, everybody's good. And so, and he used his name and he used his government ID, by the way, to book the, the tour. So the United Nations Command was like, yep, everybody's good. So he goes on the tour, which started at like 2.30 uh, on, I think it was July 18th. And an hour later, he runs, you know, into North Korea and, uh, he runs between South Korean and U S military members. They chase him. He runs behind a North Korean building, jumps into a van, which is suspect. Like, I don't know. It was that van there just as a coincidence or was that, was this pre-planned? Like did North Korea have some sort of prior knowledge? And that's actually something Army counterintelligence is looking into. And 
or he's driven out of the area. I mean, it's a it's a crazy story, you know. But in terms of the the why, we don't really know right now. And where where is he now? And has anyone been held accountable? I was asked on TV the other day, how could this happen? You explained how this happened, but where is he now? And and is anybody going to be held accountable for letting this guy uh, fly away? I mean, he could be partying with Kim Jong Un right now, and like, who knows where he is? He's we don't know, right? Yeah. And, you know, how could this happen? You know, it, you know, there isn't like a gate at the Joint Security Agency. Like you can just run across, but it's but it, there's this like invisible barrier there. It's kind of like if you're on a cruise ship and you decide to just jump into the ocean, like <laughs> people don't do that because you're jumping into the ocean. Well, kind of the same thing is applied. There's not a gate there because it's generally accepted that it's a bad idea to run into North Korea. So that's why people usually don't do it. People are usually running out of North Korea, trying to get to South Korea. Yep. Nobody's usually, not many people are trying to get into it. So, you know, how does this happen? Very easily. Like, I mean, in terms of planning, you know, if his plan was to get to North Korea, which it seems like it was, flawless. Right. Like his plan worked perfectly. I mean, this is like... This, this is, you know, you work have worked in Hollywood. There is somebody, I'm sure, writing a script about this right now, except sure. we don't know how this, you know, wacky, weird, upside down version of a Jason Bourne scene, uh, how it ends. We don't know how it ends. He could pop up right. and he could end up dead. He could end up in Leavenworth. Like, I'm sure you'll be among the first people to report that. And I hope you'll come back and, and talk to us about it. Let me ask you about a couple other quick things that are national security related and adjacent uh, we've covered it a lot on the show. I've commented a lot publicly. Tommy Tuberville and his holds on the military. Um, it was recently reported now that something like a dozen flag grades have had to extend their retirement, basically cancel their retirement to stay on. We know it's been extremely disruptive. Now we're getting into the school year. Well, it would be more disruptive. There was new reporting this week that Tuberville's lied about his father's World War II service. It's like every week there's a new Tuberville thing. But I want to ask you, because of your proximity and your relationships with the Pentagon, can you, James, share any share any, any any insight into what this is actually like for the Pentagon and what are they doing about it? Like if if, if Tommy Tuberville doesn't resign as a senator, he keeps this hold on there. That, are there any loopholes? Are there any end arounds? Is there anything the SecDef can do to minimize this this disruption, which could you know conceivably go on for the whole year? Right. I mean, to me, it's comparable to like when the Defense Department has to go on a CR, a continuing resolution when Congress fails to pass the budget. You know, I mean, the Defense Department is, you know, the military is beholden to its civilian leaders, like it's in civilian control. And so the Defense Department is kind of like between a rock and a hard place. You know, Uh, I mean, we don't have a commandant of the Marine Corps for the first time in over 100 years, which is crazy. Like and, and you can see that symbolically. So if you walk into the Pentagon, there's an area of the Pentagon that is, you know, uh, the joint staff area. And you see the row of pictures and you see who is the general in charge of each branch of service. When you look at the Marine Corps, it's black. It's just an empty picture. There's no picture. It's an There's no picture. So there's a picture for every other service, including up to, you know, General Milley and and, uh, Secretary Austin. But there is no picture for the Commandant. So symbolically... It's just not great. And, you know, you know, uh, Senator Tubbleville has made this argument of like, well, you know, they can do these jobs in an acting role. 
What he's not saying there is not only do they have to do it, uh, conduct a role in an acting role, they still have to maintain their current position. So they're dual hatted. So, you know, for the commandant of the Marine Corps, you know, uh, General Smith, who was nominated, he was the assistant commandant of the Marine Corps. So now he is the acting commandant and still the assistant commandant of the Marine Corps. And, it, and that backs up all the way down the line. You know, the military runs on chain, chain of commands. And that starts from the general down to the private. And so if it's affecting the generals, it's going to roll down to the colonels. It's going to roll down to the lieutenant colonels. It's going to roll down. And so we're not, it's not just a bunch of admirals and generals. It affects every branch within the chain of command. Mm. And the other people who get affected by this are the families. Why, you know, spouses, not just wives, but spouses, husbands, and, and wives are trying to plan, you know, typically in the military. Military families move typically around three years, three to four years, and they're usually moving from one base to another. Well, that takes a significant amount of planning. You know, you think about just, you know, moving from one state to another. Well, many military families move multiple times over a long career. It's hard to plan, you know, what school my kid's going to go to. It's hard to plan where we're going to live when I don't know when there isn't, you know, predictability within those movements. Right. And right now there isn't predictability in those movements because of his hold over the military. And so, and, and this seems to be like a political front that the, the, the more extreme right wing of the Republican party, um, which is increasingly more of the Republican party wants to engage in like Ron DeSantis has announced that a priority of his presidential camp campaign will be to rip the woke out of the military. And what they're talking about is uh uh, Tuberville's uh, attacks on any uh, leave for ab abortion-related travel, anything related to birth control, women's uh, reproductive rights. They're talking about uh, trans people openly serving. They're talking about even things like diversity initiatives, right? Right. Which we've talked about with Amy McGrath and others. But can you talk, James, about what it's like, like go beneath the surface for the functioning military, right? Now, you know, we've had these culture wars in America, but the military has always been kind of off limits. Now you're right. the military in the middle of everything. Can you talk about the impact you see that having on people in the building? Is it impacting morale? Is it impacting um, the conversations in the building? Um, is, is it as disruptive as, as when we've had the, the CR and, and we've had wars overseas? Now they're dealing with a political war back home. Can you take us inside the Pentagon and what this culture war is, is going to have, uh, how, what the impact it's going to have on, on, the, on the building? Yeah. So ebbs and flows in policy, right, affect morale. Right. If and that's kind of the issue that the military, the military is supposed to be apolitical. It's a you know, they are civil servants, uh, you know, uh, people who serve con congressional people. They serve the public. They I, I know congressional staffers who will serve a Republican and then will turn and then serve a Democrat because really it's all about just serving the American people. Right. They, they really don't really care about if you're a Republican or Democrat or independent. They just they're serving. And that's what the military is based on is it, it's an apolitical converse, um, you know, building and, and the people who serve in it, you know, those they'll serve a Republican president, they'll serve a Democrat president, but really it's about serving the American people. That's it. Where, where morale gets impacted is if I come in and I'm a service member and, you know, there, there's a policy states that I can go get uncovered reproductive health care 
And then the next day I come in and, well, actually, no, you can't. That affects morale, that unpredictability in policy. And that's what's going on right now is, and by the way, you know, the other thing too that Senator Tuberville doesn't bring up is, you know, uh, so one, the military is not paying for abortions. That's just blatantly untrue. Two is they're paying for travel, you know, and, and yes, that if, if a service member wants to get an abortion, they're paying for that travel. Well, the one thing they're also not talking about is it's not just for abortions. It's for things like IVF. I can't, and I know this from personal experience, is uh, a couple that's going through infertility and facing infertility issues. It is a depressing time. You know, uh, it's not fun, especially when you're trying to have children and you can't. I mean, uh, the impact of that on a woman is, I mean, it's, it's really devastating. I mean, it's really just not a fun time. And the military does not cover IVF treatments. And those run pretty high. I mean, like $20,000 or more to do IVF treatments. And so the military is also paying for that travel because it's not covered healthcare under the military's healthcare system. So the military, at the very least, is paying for those couples to travel to get IVF treatments. And what the military is trying to do is standardize care because when, uh, when Roe v. Wade, when, when Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, right? It created a disparagement within healthcare. So a service member in California, you have access to, uh, you know, un, um, uncovered healthcare, including abortions. But if you're a service member in Texas, you might not have that. So what the policy does is it, all it does is just standardize the healthcare so that a service member in California has the exact same access as a service member in Texas. That's the only thing the policy does was trying to have a standard of care in terms of health care because which, yeah, the which, Supreme Court created a disparity. Yeah, which which cuts to your point about predictability and morale, because, you know, in the military right now, you feel like the earth is, is moving underneath you. And and I right. think made this point before. Twenty percent of the military is female. Twenty percent of the female recruits come from two states, New York and California. And if you're trying right. to recruit talent, which is what the military is trying to do, and you're trying to recruit female talent from New York and California, you're saying to those people, you might end up in, in Texas, you might end up in Saudi Arabia, right? You might end up somewhere where you don't right. have rights. You and, and by the way, you also don't have access to IVF where you probably do in some private companies at Google and places like that. So they're competing for talent in a really tough market when recruiting is down. So I don't, I don't think that's been pulled out enough how, you know, the young people of this country and parents are watching and saying, Hey, I can't blame you, you know, Susie or Johnny, if you don't want to give up your rights and go get stationed in, in Alabama under Tommy Tuberville's reign, or like I've said before, in other countries where the, we're subjected to the rules, like we talked about in South Korea and in the middle East and in other places um, I, I want to stay on this with you in the weeks and, and, and months to come, because I think it's often misunderstood and kind of manipulated, especially by politicians. Let me ask you, um, as we kind of wrap up here, James, you, you, you mentioned when we were getting ready to start that you had a knock at your door from the FBI. Uh, you've yeah. been some pretty hard hitting reporting. Uh, it's hard to report on these issues for a number of different reasons. Uh, you're now at a new place called The Messenger, which is, in my view, lucky to have you. Uh, and you're continuing to focus on national security and, and military affairs. Um, talk about the, your, tell us about your FBI story. Yeah. So, um, 
you know, it's amazing when, you know, when I'm first, so I got out of the Marines in 2014 and I really thought coming into journalism, I would mainly be covering like war and conflict and things like that. But it's amazing how many things I didn't anticipate covering, like sexual assault, sexual harassment, but also extremism within the ranks. It's a topic I never thought I'd be covering, that there would be service members who join the military, not because they want to serve their country, but because they're trying to you know, ramp up uh, the lethality of their neo-Nazi group that they're privately a part of. Like, that's something I never thought I would cover. And I've covered it more frequently over the past couple of years. Um, so recently, probably in the last month or so, I went public with uh, a threat that came my way. So I, I reported, when I was at Newsweek, uh, I reported on a Marine, his name was Liam Collins. Liam Collins was an infantry Marine at Camp Lejeune. Um, you know, on paper, stellar Marine, you know, um, but he was privately a, a neo-Nazi. Um, and he was trying to, uh, and it wasn't just him, it was a group of people, which I didn't know that he was a part of a, a group of people who were also service members. Uh, so I reported on him being, you know, an active duty Marine, but also being a part of a neo-Nazi group. Um, about a year later, um, in 2020, uh, I was in South Florida and, um, my, my then wife came in and said, uh, the FBI is outside and they want to talk to you. And I thought she was joking, you know, cause I was like, okay, <laughs> you know, and she's like, no, I'm serious. Uh, and this was like seven thirty, eight o'clock at night. So it was really, you know, the, it was dark outside. So it was also, it kind of spooked her. She was sitting in the car, finishing a phone call and she gets a knock on the window saying, Hey, we're the FBI. I, you know, I thought I was going to jail, you know, uh, uh, just because like, you know, uh, when you deal in national security, you learn things that you're not supposed to learn. And I thought I was like, I thought it was like I was going to jail for like a source or something like that, where they wanted to know my source. I was going to be like, I'm not telling you who my source is, and therefore I'm going to jail. I thought it was like something like that. And <laughs> I had just started at, I had just gotten hired at the Associated Press. So I was like, oh, this is not going to go over well. But I walked outside and, you know, they asked me, do I know a Liam Collins? And I had since forgotten about the story, you know, and I was like, no. They're like, did you write about a Marine who was, you know, part of a neo-Nazi group? And I was like, yeah. They're like, well, um, uh, there's been a credible threat made on your life. Um, you were added to like a kill list. Um, and, and I was like, well, what do you mean? They're like, well, we found a, a, a photograph of you. Um, it was a picture of a guy being executed during the Holocaust. And they superimposed your face over the guy's face who was being executed during the Holocaust. And apparently I was on a list of a whole bunch of people that they had grievances with. And this group that he was a part of were, they basically, uh, what they said was they wanted to create a modern day SS unit, you know, um, to assassinate, you know, key members, particularly members of Black Lives Matter, um, journalists that they had grievances with. I think Governor Whitmore's name was on there. Um, they were gathering gear. They were training in the woods. They were, you know, training on marksmanship. And it was really scary. I, I mean, I, I mean, the Marine in me was like, you know, 
come on, bring it on. But I also had a wife and, you know, I think my son was three at the time, something like that, three or four. And I was kind of scared for them, you know, because I've been in combat, so I'm used to violence, but they're not, you know. So they were really freaked out about this whole thing. And that was, and this was the second time that I'd been threatened by service members who were also neo-Nazis. The first time was uh, I reported on a Marine who was a part of this group called Patriot Front. And they sent a business card to my house as a kind of a subtle, like, uh, we know where you live kind of thing. So, um, you know, historically, the Defense Department has downplayed extremism in the ranks. You know, historically, they've said, well, look, if you look at the totality of our ranks, extremism is a small problem. That's true. However, it does not take a lot of people to create a lot of damage. Yep. And so I've always kind of felt that argument was disingenuous because, yeah, sure, the totality of this, of U.S. service members are not neo-Nazis. However, the ones that are can be very dangerous. And right. you have to have a mechanism to address that. Other than, <laughs> other than, other than um, you know, kind of retroactively addressing it. Like, oh, well, okay, we'll just kick them out of our ranks. It's like, yeah, but that doesn't really address the issue. You know, just by, you know, kicking people out of the military, that, that doesn't solve the issue at all. Yep. I, I think this is one of the most underreported stories in America right now. National security story, political story, social story. You know, I, I'm catching hell for it right now because I said that we should, you know, look at our laws to figure out if they need updating to, to react to this threat. And 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 uh, some critics have conflated that with my call for fascism or, or or spying on all Americans. I'm saying no. I say I say, look, we are we are listening in on ISIS and Al Qaeda. And if the Patriot Front and 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 uh, Oath Keepers are trying to infiltrate the military so they can weaponize their members and kill people. We should be tracking on that. That is a legitimate national right. security threat. And we don't have to wait for an actual act because the threats are much more prolific than people talk about. And I think we've heard about some of the threats on politicians. There are a lot of people in the media who've been threatened who haven't talked about it. And, uh, and, sure. and, and I appreciate your candor and your courage in even talking about it. Um, it's terrifying, it, but it's also real. And I think our country has to do a better job of not just protecting elected leaders, but anybody who could potentially be on a target list, which is a growing number of people right now. And not just, it could be teachers, it could be voting workers. So I think it's a time for an open discussion about this and also a real discussion about how significant and serious the threat is. And, and your reporting and your experience has done that, man. And I'm, I'm really grateful for it. I think I hear your son in the background who might yeah, be ready. He's playing my, yeah, he's playing Minecraft. <laughs> I want to give you the time to get back to him and to get back to your reporting. You've generously offered to stick around for a couple questions for our Patriot members. I'll ask you a Star Wars question and some summer questions uh, that, that are fun. Thank you to our Patreon members for making this and all episodes possible. But James, thank you to you, man, for, for your courage, for your tenacity, I think what you're doing is patriotic and a tremendous uh, public service. And, and you continue to break stories, man. And, and I said this last time you were on, it's because people trust you and they respect your work. Um, and I think you're doing a great service to, to everyone. And, and I'm grateful for all your leadership. And I hope you'll come back again soon. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It's very kind of you to say. Messenger is lucky to have you follow James everywhere. Uh, look out for him in the museum uh, and, and definitely follow his reporting. Thank you, my friends. Stay vigilant. Thank you.
right, I really enjoyed that conversation with James Laporta. I hope you did too. Follow him on all the social media, especially the wild wasteland of Twitter and the new potential wasteland of threads. I'm also over there now too. And check out his reporting at themessenger.com. It's a new media startup and he is featured there and he's breaking stories almost daily like he always has including a new one just before I recorded this episode that's breaking news out of Camp Lejeune, where tragically three Marines were found dead in a car from carbon monoxide poisoning. It's very tough stuff, but it is important. And James continues to bring the toughest and most important stories to America and to the world. As you heard in this episode, and as you heard last time he visited with us, and as you can see every time he writes a story, James Laporta is truly a helper. Always look for the helpers. There, were, there will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines. If you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. Yes, he's a helper, and there are others out there, too, who are working hard and being nice. Please continue to share yours with me, whoever you see out there all summer long navigating this wildness. Use the hashtag look for the helpers on all the social media platforms, and I will try my best to elevate them. They are out there. They are working hard. They are being nice, and they are setting an example for all of us. Look for the helpers. They're out there. They come in all shapes and sizes and come from all generations. And this week, we lost a truly great one i know i'd go from rags to riches if you would only say you care and though my pocket may be empty i'd be a millionaire the great tony bennett a true icon, a legend, an American original, an American hero, and an American combat veteran. And his story has been told in a number of places, but told exceptionally well by the Fort Cavazos Herald and a guy named David A. Bryant. Fort Cavazos is over by Fort Hood in Texas, and David told his story. Tony Bennett was 15 when World War II started. He turned 18 in 1944 and got his draft notice and entered the Army as an infantryman. After training, he was shipped off to France as a replacement troop for units that suffered huge casualties fighting the Germans in Europe during the Battle of the Bulge. And he served with G Company, 7th Army, 63rd Infantry Division. And in his autobiography, Tony Bennett recalled his batch being woken up at 4 in the morning by none other than George Patton himself shouting, Now listen up. Forget your mothers and everything else you've ever known. You're going up to the line. Bennett also wrote that the war made him realize he opposed war and that, quote, Although I understand why this war was fought, it was a terrifying, demoralizing experience for me. Life can never be the same once you've been through combat. And his first night on the line, Tony Bennett was nearly killed by German artillery fire. He wrote, Quote, it's a joke that they make horror movies about things like Dracula and Godzilla, and they make adventure movies about war. War is far more horrifying than anything anyone could dream up. And after months of fighting Germans town by town, Tony Bennett had the opportunity to see Bob Hope perform at a USO show. 
and that's what sparked his desire to go into show business. The horrors of war weren't over for him, though. The last mission of his regiment was the liberation of a concentration camp near Landsberg, 30 miles south of the Dachau concentration camp, something that would stay in his mind for the rest of his life. I've been to Dachau, and I can only begin to understand that myself. But after Germany surrendered, Tony Bennett stayed on as part of the occupation force. He was transferred to the special services to entertain Allied troops. He left as a private first class and went on to study singing and performing on stage. And one day, Bob Hope happened to see one of his performances. And the rest was history. Tony Bennett was a World War II combat veteran, a Bronze Star Medal recipient, who fought his way across Germany in 1945. And he was once reduced in rank from corporal to private for having dinner at a hotel with a black friend and a fellow soldier when the army was segregated. He was an American icon. He was a role model. He was a veteran. And he was a rags-to-riches story that showed the power of working hard and being nice. My fate is up to you. Look for the helpers. They're out there. And when you're on social media posting about the helpers, you can join me and play Guess the Guest every Wednesday night. I'm keeping it going on all the social media platforms. You can look at the mysterious picture I post and see if you can guess the guest. Last week, we had the great Colonel Amy McGrath on the show. If you haven't heard that episode, go back and check it out. She's amazing. And some of you actually guessed it correctly. On Twitter, BJK Farm D guessed first Tammy Duckworth, but then corrected and said, I rescind my previous guess and instead guess Amy McGrath. You are right, BJKP Farm D. You were correct. And there were other guesses. The guesses may be down a little bit in the summer. I know some of you are on vacation and you'll catch up later. But on Instagram, Hula Moon 18 guessed Allison Jaslow and said, she rocks. No, it was not Allison Jaslow, but that is a great guess. And as you heard earlier in that clip, and I hope Jaslow will join us on this show sometime soon. But until then, please keep guessing the guest, and please check out independentamericans.us, where you can check out video of this episode, and you can also support this show by joining our Patreon community. Be a helper. Help us spread the message of working hard and being nice, adding light to contrast to heat, and supporting the Independent Americans movement. Go check out and support and join our Patreon membership. You can do it for just five bucks. I want to thank all of you who have done it, and especially the newest ones, including Lisa. Welcome, Lisa, who joined as a Vigilant Patreon member this past week. And you will get extra content if you're a Patreon member with all of our guests, including James Laporta who takes us this week inside the Pentagon. He talks about what it's like to actually go inside the building and what it's like to take your son there. Great conversation with James Laporta. You can get video and audio of every show, and you can also listen to the shows without commercials if you are a Patreon member, so check it out. 
Also on the website, you can get all of our episodes going all the way back to the one with Milo Ventimiglia. You can check out James Laporta's first appearance on our show back on Halloween of 2019. And you can check my recent media appearances, including us on MSNBC with Nicole Wallace. I'm doing that just about every week. There's also links in the show page for this show. I'll continue to focus on national security, political news, vet stuff. And I'll continue to be on News Nation with Marnie Hughes most Thursdays in the 11 o'clock hour. So check that out. And be sure to hit me up on all the social media platforms. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast. It's free. It means a lot. And share it with a couple of your friends. Share some of that hope. Share some of that love. Share some of that working hard and being nice positivity. This has been a wild and, frankly, sometimes very nasty summer. I saw that especially this week after my weekly appearance on MSNBC. One of the topics we discussed was recent comments by Trump apologist and radically bad dude Peter Navarro, who threatened that there will be civil war if Trump is put in prison. Now, I shared my views, and while I think the threat of civil war is exaggerated and encouraged by Navarro and others in the American insurgency, I think the threat of violence from extremist groups like the Oath Keepers and Patriot Front neo-Nazis is real. It's something I've talked about on this show a lot. And something I think we all need to take more seriously. And something politicians and the government need to focus on more. To include exploring changes to our systems and processes and laws that might be necessary to combat this new and rising threat. Similar to how we overhauled our laws and securities and screenings after 9-11. Well, the extremist media spin machine jumped all over it. They misquoted and mischaracterized my clips and ran stories in places like the Radical Daily Caller, which is Tucker Carlson's website, with a headline saying, MSNBC guest calls for 9-11 era security changes to address, quote, threat posed by Trump supporters. That's the headline. Or a radical guy from a website calling itself Newsbusters who wrote, quote, Paul Rykoff called for a new Patriot Act to be weaponized against conservatives. Now, Of course, I did not. That's not what I said. That's not what I called for. I called for a need to stay vigilant. And that's not what I said at all. But it's typical of a strategy designed to foment outrage. I call for exploring reform to better face the threat of domestic violent extremists and gave the specific examples of the Oath Keepers and Patriot Front. But they got what they wanted a torrent of angry crazies echoing the lies, attacking me on all social media platforms, getting Fox News to echo a similar story, and paint a bullshit picture that fits their narrative. This is what they do. It's not everyone, but there's a group of people in the country that do this. And this is what Putin wants. This is what our enemies want, foreign and domestic. They want to spread lies attack leaders, discourage thoughtful discussion and dissent. They want to downplay the threats of extremism. They want to drive rage. And many do want a civil war, which is true. They want it. It's a reality. But it's not our future. We can fight back by calling them out, by being peaceful, by pushing information against the lies and propaganda, and by working hard and being nice. And we can be less like Glenn Greenwald and Tommy Tuberville and Donald Trump and be more like James Laporta, Tony Bennett, and Michael Franti. Why is everybody in the world seem so divided? 
Well, why is everybody gotta hate each other? Who decided? If I took all the world's pride and all the world's money and wrapped it in a blanket and put it in a buggy, could you see that maybe that baby was just the same as you are? You know, it's never been easy. Every day for everybody ain't breezy. So whenever you need some light to contrast the heat, whenever you need some happiness to contrast the wildness, listen to some Michael Franti and work hard and be nice, especially this summer. And anytime things get really wild out there, because they're almost certain to get wilder in the days to come, but we can handle it. The bad forces don't have to rule the day. The people of Ukraine deep in the fight are showing us that right now. And every morning, my wife and my boys and I do a family hug before we leave the house to be together, to support each other, to pause and because. And as we do it, we always say, today's going to be a great day. And every day, it can be a great day. And every day, even when it's a bad day, you can have great moments and you can find light. I learned that in combat in Iraq. I learned that when my first son was in the NICU. I learned that when we almost lost my wife in childbirth with our second son. And I learned that on 9-11. Any day can be a great day. Or at least a good day. And tomorrow can always be better. And this one goes out to all of you. Especially those of you that need it. Especially those of you that have stuck with me for many, many episodes and been in my corner. And especially those that are out there attacking me and anyone else. This one's for the lovers and for the haters. Because Michael Franti is a beautiful example of a brilliant leader who adds light every day. In ways big and small. He brings happiness and he brings hope. And so does our independent movement. In the toughest of times and especially in the tough times that are likely to come. Because independence are the future, and we are not alone in our independence. America might be more divided than ever before, but we at Independent Americans and Righteous Media are working to change that, adding light to contrast the heat of the other political shows. And if you're now among the 50% of Americans who are independent, this especially is your show. But all are welcome. Whether you're independent curious or even if you're a diehard radical partisan, I want you to know you are welcome to this conversation. We invite you to join us and be a part of the solution because our independent movement is broad and inclusive and is the hope for the future. Country over party, people over politics, light over heat. I hope you enjoyed this episode with James Laporta and all of what I've been pumping out all summer long. If you did, please do take the time to share it far and wide and invite your friends to declare their independence, especially the ones that might be most in need of it. And stay vigilant, my friend, because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And hope is the oxygen of democracy. And it's out there, even in the wildest times, like a Michael Franti or a Tony Bennett song, it's out there. And floating into space maybe all the way out into space where the ufos are coming from so stay vigilant and know you're not alone in your vigilance we're all vigilant and we're all in this together working hard and being nice and know that any day is a chance to have a good day especially in the summertime i'm your host paul reikoff thank you for listening 
down with Putin. Slava Ukraine. And stay vigilant, America. And be nice. Powered by Righteous Media.